Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Paige Miller. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and under the Grain Talk tab at gfo.ca. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. This podcast is sponsored by Pioneer. In this episode of Grain Talk, we will learn more about the threat of tar spot with Marty Vermeer, Grain Farmers of Ontario Senior Agronomist, and Albert Tenuta, Field Crop Plant Pathologist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. I will have a conversation with Crosby Devitt, CEO of Grain Farmers of Ontario. And this week, we spotlight farmer wellness with information on how to access support. First, a Grain Talk news update. A joint statement recognizing the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation was issued by Grain Farmers of Ontario and 12 other Ontario agriculture groups on September 30th. The statement read, As agricultural organizations representing farmers across the province, we all recognize the role the agriculture industry played in the colonization of what is now known as Canada. We also acknowledge farms across Ontario are situated on treaty lands and traditional territories of many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples across the province. September 30th has become a day of reflection for our nation and a day to acknowledge, listen, and understand how we can better appreciate and respect all aspects of our country's history. Collectively, we recognize the importance of truth and reconciliation and acknowledge that there is much more for us to know and understand. Therefore, it is our intention to have the day serve as a catalyst for continued learning and listening to Indigenous community members. Kevin Vanderspeck has been selected as the 2022 Ontario Representative for the American Soybean Association Young Leader Program, sponsored by Corteva AgriScience. Vanderspeck is a farmer in Cayuga and currently serves as a delegate for District 6, Haldeman, Brant, Hamilton, Niagara. The Young Leader Program enhances participants' skills through leadership, communications, and issues-based training, and builds a strong peer network. Grain Farmers of Ontario is a member of the ASA and selects one farmer or farming couple to participate in the program each year. COVID-19 prevented the attendance of an Ontario farmer last year. With the easing of travel restrictions, Vanderspeck is looking forward to traveling to the Corteva Global Business Centre in Johnston, Iowa, for the first phase of the program at the end of November, and to the Commodity Classic in New Orleans for Phase 2 in March 2022. You can read more about Vanderspeck in the upcoming November issue of Ontario Grain Farmer. Grain Farmers of Ontario is conducting a farmer member survey, and we want to hear from you. The survey helps ensure we are meeting your needs and addressing issues of concern, helps us deliver programs and services of value, and helps us understand more about our farmer members. All farmer members received a survey in the mail with their September issue of the Ontario Grain Farmer magazine. However, we do encourage you to complete the survey online. Go to gfo.ca slash survey. If you complete the survey online, you will be entered into our monthly draw for one of two $100 gift cards. Your choice from select retailers. Keep listening for my conversation with Marty Vermey and Albert Tenuta. The podcast for Canadian farmers like you is back for season two. Tune in to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast as host Andrew Campbell and his guests cover the latest ag topics, tips, and advice. In the season's premiere episode, Andrew welcomes Ontario Minister of Agriculture, Lisa Thompson, 
and Bryce Egger, president of Kratava AgriScience, to discuss government relations and how the agricultural industry can best collaborate with government bodies and agencies to move the industry forward and better connect with everyday Canadians. Find the Pioneer Meat to Grow podcast with Andrew Campbell wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Season two is just getting started. Joining me today on the podcast, I have Marty Vermey, Grain Farmers of Ontario Senior Agronomist, and Albert Tenuta, OMAFR Field Crop Pathologist, talking about tar spot and how it seems to be popping up here and there across Ontario more than what we've seen in the past year. So welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thanks, Paige. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Paige. So like I mentioned, uh, tar spot's kind of been popping up here and there, more widespread than we've seen in past years. So um, Albert, do you mind kind of explaining to me what tar spot is for those who might not um, know or, or haven't heard about it yet? Oh, absolutely. Tar spot is a new invasive uh, corn disease that was first found in you know, the U.S. and most recently into Ontario in 2015. It, uh, it is um, traditionally been one that uh, we've seen in the Central America. And uh, just as I mentioned, 2015 was the first time it was noticed in Indiana and Illinois. Since then, it's continued to expand in both um, geographical spread as well as in the incidence and severity through much of the Midwest U.S. And last year, around this time, into Ontario on September 21st. And uh, when we, if we were doing this last year, we would have talked about Essex, Kent, um, Lambton, Elgin, and Middlesex as being those counties that uh, were infected last year or had some degree of, of late season tar spot. And as you mentioned, it's become more widespread this year in Ontario, and it just added Niagara to the list um, as of yesterday. And so basically from Guelph through to Windsor and up through to Grey Bruce, we have some degree of, of tar spot through the southwestern portion of of the province as the name implies it looks like what you would see on you know around the house ornamentals on your maple trees especially with those tar spot lesions that uh, often occur on on your maple trees and that very similar uh, to that oh, one of the questions we get asked a lot about is it the same pathogen in maples as in corn it is not so they do not both your corn will not affect your maple trees and your maples will not affect your corn as well. And so it looks like those little black tar spots on, on the leaves and then over time they will expand. You can get more of them. The leaves will start to turn yellow when you get more and more of the, those stroma, those black tar lesions on the leaves. And then eventually, as we're seeing in many parts of the province, um, the leaves will start to die off the plants will senesce and they will start to cannibalize themselves. And that's where the concern is that you don't get maximum yield. You have not full grain fill, so you end up with less yield, less test weight. And uh, and we are seeing that right now. Hey, Albert, as far as identifying it in the field, I've, I've noticed like on the maple tree, it's a big black spot that looks like tar is probably about the size of a dime or something typically is what you see but on the corn plants i've noticed like there's small very small sprinkles almost like you got a a paintbrush and you splattered splattered uh, black paint on it and you can't rub it off of course but it, it seemed to be a lot smaller um will they grow bigger or is it just the duration or what, what's the difference now typically you will see 
uh, a vast difference in size, as you said, Marty, between what you see on a maple tree or what we're used to and what we see on corn. And that's one of the, the difficulties in diagnosing, especially early on when you only got one or two or three lesions on a corn plant uh, when you're looking for those big massive uh, lesions that you'd see on maple trees. So generally they will stay small. They may get a little larger. They may actually, uh, often we say they're round, but they can be regular shape. They can go with the spread out a bit, uh, sort of uh, um, like you know, like an amoeba or something like that that's spreading with uh, um, the vein or so, but they're usually only a few millimeters in, in length, maybe uh, three or four millimeters in, in, in size, but you will see two different um, lesion types. One is just that black stroma, and you may see a little bit of a yellow band around it, but then the other one is what we call the fisheye. These are larger, and in that, you, the, the, the black spots, the, the stroma there are about the same size, but you get a necrotic or a dead tissue zone or um, a circle going around that, that tar spot there. And those can be larger as well. And traditionally, that's been associated in that Mexico, Central America as having two different uh, species or two different pathogens of tar spot that work together to give you that, that fisheye. But in North America, whether it's the US or Ontario, we only seem to have the Flyocra mates, the one species or the one pathogen here, but we get both symptom types. So it doesn't seem that you need both. And also notice in the canopy, sometimes they're in different areas too. Like, you know, I think that depends on how it enters the field, right? Sometimes it's in the top of the canopy. And really of concern in the future, it's going to be bottom part of the canopy, right? Can you speak on that? Oh, absolutely. So uh, one of our test locations here um, in the Rodney area, um, that had tar spot last year. It was, it was our, our field that had the most, and by most I'm talking maybe 10, 15% leaf area covered in, in pockets in that field. And we were able to set up a, a, a test location for this year, uh, hoping, hoping, sorry, I'm a pathologist, hoping that we would get some disease in, in, that, in that field to, to, to answer whether it overwintered and then follow the progression of the disease. And as you said, Marty, in that field, we started seeing it July 2nd, um, very early compared to late September that, of last year. And on the lower leaves, the second, third uh, bottom leaves of that corn plant. So again, it would have come up from that residue that was left in there. And there wasn't a lot of residue in that field. So this is a an obligate parasite. It needs living tissue to 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 reproduce in that but it can survive on residue in the field and um, and with that if you see it down low it's it's within field and as we saw last year and what a lot of people are seeing right now is that say the ear leaf and above the top part of the canopy is where you're starting to see those tar spot lesions and that would be again the main vehicle by which this pathogen or disease moves is by air or wind or storms. And so we have, and we will see over the next while as this develops, just like it did in, in the Midwest US, as you build up more inoculum, we're gonna see more frequency of, of the disease. But, so you have that local risk, and, and we're still trying to figure out what the local movement is from field to field. It's, you know, we're talking kilometers in this particular case, but those wind storms, you know, we have this massive spore, deposit 
potential risk area of, of Michigan, um, Indiana, um, even Ohio, um, the northwest corner of Ohio as well, that will produce gobs and gobs of potential spores. And those that's where our risk is going to come. And that's where we're seeing this wide geographical uh, distribution of it in, in 2021 in Ontario is not so much from that that little bit that overwintered, but these storm fronts and the spore loads that's come in from the U.S., which has seen considerable more pressure this year, very similar, if not more so, than what was in 2018, which was considered an epidemic year. Yeah, locally, I just saw it here about two weeks ago, and I'd have to say, yeah, if those storms that came through just before that were all coming from uh, the Midwest U.S., you know, Michigan, kind of uh, Indiana area, and sure enough, uh, it's sprinkled all over a wide area, too, like everybody's seeing it. Yeah, and you can see that variation from those stromas to those fish eyes. And don't forget, Marty, also, you know, the cobs, right? You can see it even on cobs as well. So all plant parts can be infected. What's the situation in the U.S. like this year compared to last year? And are we seeing more spread across the U.S., which could then in relate be more spread here? 2018 was the last epidemic year, which would have been built up from 2015 as the the pathogen spread and also built up in inoculum or, or spore load. And the environment was, was very conducive to 2018 with cooler temperatures and, and wet conditions. And that's continued to progress. And we've been expecting tire spot. Um, it wasn't unexpected last fall to find it. Um, in Ontario, because it's it's built up quite a bit in Indiana and Michigan, right up to the Ontario border, and so um, the conditions this year are have been exceptionally favorable, right through from Michigan through to Wisconsin, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, and now we're starting to see it creep into Pennsylvania as well. So it's right across from from Long Point and and that if you look into Erie, Pennsylvania, it's in that northwest corner of uh, Pennsylvania as well as Philadelphia uh, um, as well. So they are seeing substantial um, impact to tar spot uh, in in 2021 and a lot of it is driven by the weather conditions and we've had variable favorable conditions all across um, the Midwest and into into Ontario. It's also interesting to note when we found it in that first week of um, July, July 2nd to 4th, um, Michigan found it on July 1st, um, Indiana and Iowa as well at the same time as Ontario, and then the following week Illinois and Wisconsin as well had. So it was that those weather conditions at across that region which um, was very favorable for the uh, early infection. And then, of course, with the weather that continued, it's been very favorable for tar spot development. And it's interesting looking at the tar spot map for North America. And when you take a look at the West, really hasn't been a whole lot this year when you look at Iowa and Nebraska, where in previous years, in 2018, that Albert mentioned, there was a lot more. It, it's all weather related. So a lot of people ask the question, well, are we going to get it next year? Well, the spores are here. And it all depends on the weather. And Albert, you always talk about the disease triangle, so it's probably a good spot to, to mention that again, eh? Yeah, so as we start building up more and more inoculum um, and the disease being present, you know, we've got to think about um, hybrids. We get asked, you know, Marty, you and I get asked a lot about the hybrids, right? And, and we do have uh, some trials um, here in Rodney. We've got about 64 different hybrids there. And, and, you know, a lot of them, you know, 
there's no way other way to put it, but a lot of them are susceptible. And uh, and that and we do have some that look more tolerant. You know, is that true tolerance or not? You know, we'll have to do more investigating uh, to see if that is the case. We do have the Ontario Corn Performance Trials at Ridgetown that have tar spot in there. So I plan to to go in there and try to do some some assessments there as well if, if the opportunity uh, um, is, is possible um, with the pressure in there. Um, so we do have some, but then as you said, the weather is critical in, in when it comes to tar spot. And so even if we start, if we see that overwintering in the, in the province, you can have disease starting and that first week of July is only maybe about a week earlier than what you, the U.S. would normally see for tar spot on an annual basis. The big difference was the weather conditions and that those constant rain events and, and even more so, it's the humidity. Anything above 75% relative humidity, um, six, seven, eight hours of that is, is drives this disease. And, you know, look at where we are. We've got the Great Lakes around us. During the summer, July, August, it's pretty hard to get below 75% relative humidity. And this year with all the, the rain events, the re high relative humidity, um, it, it was flourishing. The one thing I thought would be different and, and may not have helped the disease was the temperatures. We were much hotter in 2021 than in 2018. And it was interesting as we hit those 90 plus degree Fahrenheit uh, temperatures and into you know above a hundred with relative humidity on some of those, the disease seemed to accelerate. It uh, went faster, and uh, you can see differences almost on a daily basis, which was unexpected. So temperature, although we thought maybe is a limiting factor, it may not be so much. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people say, well, the disease probably won't affect us because well, look at the U.S. Maybe every three years they get it, but you have to remind uh, farmers that. But in the in what Albert just mentioned is it's a different climate. So when you take a look at where the disease first started and it moved into Iowa, Nebraska, et cetera, that is drier climates. Whereas in Ontario, as Albert mentioned, you're in a humid area here, and we do get a lot of other leaf diseases that probably the U.S. Corn Belt doesn't see. So we are highly prone in the Ontario market uh, for this leaf disease. And we should also talk, Albert, about you know, what devastating effects. And it's all about timing. We've been spending a lot of time talking about timing. And if it comes in late in the season, it's like a lot of diseases come in late, your plants are getting close to maturity, you might lose a little test weight. But as we're talking about that disease establishing here in the province, and it's going to start earlier in the season, it's not just going to be the end of the season disease, it's going to be a mid-season disease or earlier. What kind of devastating effects does that have on that crop? We've seen, you know, 2018, there was you know, 40, 50, 60 bushel yield losses uh, yeah, reported in the U.S. And, and what we've been seeing here and some of the early um, yields that have been coming in in Ontario, for instance, I know of some fields that were taken off uh, not too far from, from the Chatham area that had some heavy tar spot that were taken off over a week ago or so. And, and growers are saying there were about 20 bushels or, or more to the negative um, and attributing that to to tar spot in our plots here, the the the, the untreated, susceptible, and even the tolerant um, hybrids that we used in, in for our fungicide applications, kernel development basically stopped, 
and uh, and and I would expect in that particular case we're going to see probably a 50% or more yield loss. And some of the early reports in the U.S. are are in that you know 100 bushel yield loss, um, particularly on the irrigated land. But it won't be unusual to see a 40, 50 bushel um, losses under those severe conditions. Now, does that mean everybody? Of course not. You know, you're going to see that, you know, 5, 10, maybe 15 bushels or, or, or very little, as you said, if it came in in, in late August, uh, early September, or just around now, there'll be very minimal impact. But again, it's that development and that buildup of, of that inoculum load that will drive it. And if you look at the distribution and what's been happening since 2015, those areas that have become the epicenters for, for tar spots seem to be Michigan, Indiana, particularly the northern part of Indiana between Lake Michigan and, and Lake Erie, and then that northwest corner of, of Ohio. And then, of course, it's starting to move along with, with the, uh, the south uh, side of, of Lake Erie, too, into Ohio, Pennsylvania, and it will be into New York City or into New York State, if, if not already uh, there. So around the Great Lakes... The weather conditions or environment is very favorable, so I think I think we're in a higher risk situation than say Iowa or or Western Wisconsin or or even Illinois. So with all of that spread and and everything, and some people saying, "Oh, we're not going to get it." For those that are concerned about getting tar spot in their area, what can they do, and how? When should they be scouting, and how can they scout for tar spot? Yeah. So you know, for 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 right now, basically, it's it's just determining whether you've got tar spot in that in your fields and that, and and also it's a great opportunity to get, be aware of the disease, um, the situation in in your area. As I said, from from Guelph through to 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 Windsor, and then from Lake Erie all the way up to to Gray Bruce, uh, we have some degree of tar spot uh, in there. It's also an opportunity from an identification standpoint because. Um, particularly on the early side, as I mentioned um, previously, that it's very, it can be very difficult to to identify, and it can look like, you know, insect frass, a lot of that, or or pollen, or you know, some diseases such as uh, rust uh, lesions on on the leaves. So one of the first things to do when identifying is, you know, wet your finger. You know, spit on your finger or so, and and rub on, rub those lesions. And if it's any of these other things, that they'll dissolve and and be rubbed off. Uh, but tar spot will stay on. It will be have a bump. It'll feel almost like a sandpaper as as you rub it uh, across um, there. So you know, getting aware of it, knowing if it's there right now, can help you plan for for next year. You know, we always talk. You know, as Marty said, the disease triangle, and we always start with with genetics, right? We talk about whether it's corn hybrids, soybean varieties, wheat varieties, etc. Um, we have very limited knowledge. The companies are doing a, a trying to assess their their hybrids as well. So, you know, there might be some indication, but uh, of, of some hybrids that might be tolerant versus others. But you know, again, we we're not there yet, um, uh, unfortunately, on that side. But for for next year, plan to to get out there and scout, whether you scout or have your consultant scout. But, you know, that that second week of July is it seems to be the time that 
where tar spot starts to starts to develop or is first seen um, in those areas that have established tar spot um, in there. So I would expect that by middle of uh, July, um, we will see some, particularly in the southwest. And then, of course, fungicides are are a tool that we can utilize um, quite effectively. The one, the one benefit and and the good news story that we've had from from this year when we set up our, our tar spot trials, which I got to say are, are are you know without the GFO support or the Grain Farmers of Ontario support, we wouldn't be able to have planned or <clears throat> be in this position because uh, with that with GFO support, we've been part of the tar spot working group as well as the North Central Corn working group for 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 many years and so we've been planning these trials with our u.s colleagues we've also been evaluating many different fungicides in that that aren't available yet in ontario that uh, we have data already on and so we were able to go ahead and 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 plan right away uh, which which is a benefit to to us as well and so using products that are available to growers right now and using um, our tools that are in the toolbox, we were able to to not not eliminate the disease, but we'll, we were able to reduce the impacts um, quite substantially. Now, ultimately, yield will drive it, and we're not there at at harvesting our, our yields. But just a simple susceptible versus uh, tolerant hybrid, we saw um, a, a great difference in terms of disease development and ultimately the impact on those plants and the plant health overall. We also saw differences in fungicides. Some fungicides did nothing. Really no difference between check and many of those are those single modes of action that we didn't expect. And it's supporting what the US group has seen um, over the past three or four years of their testing as well. But we have seen products that have performed very well, particularly those that have two, two or three modes of action um, that can also help us with our, our foliar leaf disease side of things, but also on our, our gibberella ear rot and dawn as well. So um, ultimately, if we go through those, we can see a tolerant hybrid with a good effective fungicide, although the disease is there under these really severe conditions at my location, at my trial location, um, it worked. Um, we need to build on that. And, and so we're not, we've got tools available to us to manage it. We just have to fine tune those. And Albert, when we're talking about timing too, like a lot of farmers say, well, I spray for gibberella ear rot, so I'm always spraying at tassel time. This disease won't be a problem for me. But I really want to emphasize to farmers to make sure that they're scouting because now that the disease is overwintering, that most of the southwestern part of the provinces got it this year, we're going to have a lot more fields overwintered a lot of spore count next year. We're going to probably see it earlier if the weather conditions are ripe for it. And there's a couple of tools farmers can use. Um, there is a an app, Tower Spotter, that can be used to, to, to monitor the weather and whatnot, um, but also scouting the field, right? And I think number one thing is scouting the field. Know what it is. Know what you're looking for. And you've mentioned that already, but it's so important to start early because what I'm wondering, Albert, is what if people ignore it and they only spray at tassels? So they've already had the disease develop. Like, how much is that already hurting you? And can you control the disease at tassel if you've already had an earlier infection? Yeah, so that's that's the big question right now. And as we've gone through our our, our test plots with uh, with people going through, as we use these as an educational um, 
avenue this year or venue as well. And that's the big question here. So one of the things, as I said, we were trying to utilize what tools we had in the in the toolbox. And I mentioned using the, the hybrid genetics, you know, tolerant hybrids versus susceptible, the various different fungicides. And the other one is our, our timing. And we went with just our, our regular VTR1 application targeting more so the, the silking gibberella window there as well. And and all the all of those fungicides, say on the susceptible as well as on the tolerant hybrid, ran out of gas this year. On in this particular field. Now remember, this is probably the worst case situation in in the province. It's a, a test location um, that um, that that worked very well for for the development of tar spot. And with those, they all seem to run out of gas by that you know R two R three window about you know three weeks after four weeks after some some had more residual than others and we saw that and that's where that discussion comes you know do we under those severe conditions are are we looking at potentially a second application right and uh, that's something that we'll have to discuss and it will be driven by what's going on in the field and as you said Marty you got to be out there you have to be out there scouting visually to see what's going on and then the tar spotter is an excellent tool to be also complement uh, what you're seeing and, and and it's another tool for you in the toolbox in that it can also tell us you know what the risk is you know and basically you know green yellow red is is how it works and high risk versus low risk and um, I used it this year and we've been using it the past uh, number of years and actually when we noticed it in in Ridgetown last year on September 21st and other locations tar spotter was the one that was able to guide us to those areas to to scout and and where we had a higher probability of finding it and it, it worked very well and it worked very well again this year and it predicted early infection um, and that but don't forget though there is still this is very similar to say the rust pathogens or the rust diseases so you have initial infection and then you can get really rapid exponential growth. But it still takes about two or three weeks to start building that momentum and get the snowball rolling, for instance. But once it does, as we saw this year, you're looking at a week to 10 days um, as opposed to two weeks or, or a little bit longer than normally you would expect for the disease to really start moving along and almost doubling. But in this case, we were looking at you know, seven to 10 days under these high relative humidity and temperature um, environments this year for, for the disease to, to progress. We've learned a lot about this disease. We need to respect this disease, but we do not need to fear it. Control can be had. Control right now we can have depending on how much is there in that. And so we need to look at the big picture and we may have to look at ways to to rethink how we we manage uh, foliar fungicides. And as you said, Marty, one of the big concerns is here, if it establishes early prior to tassel or um, silking, um, and we have to come in with a, a fungicide applications to keep the disease down, particularly on those really susceptible hybrids, which we have a lot of, what do we do with that silking application, because remember, you know, remember 2018 and and gibberella in the dawn. You have to remind us of that. I have to remind you of that because that's still one of our main focuses, right? 
um, that if we don't if we don't hit that window, then we're we're, we're potentially prone to Gibberella irot issues, right? And uh, and that. So again, it will depend on what's going on that year, what the weather conditions are. You know, we're going to see some of the results coming in from the U.S. Uh, where you know um, an earlier application, say a, a ten or twelve leaf uh, application, and then follow that up with an R two R three. So you know, a milk dough stage application post tasseling or post silking was very effective. But again, that opens the risk that do we do we run into a, a jib dawn potential in those 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 years as well. So there's a whole bunch of different questions we we need to ask and 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 rate our risks. Well, with that, I want to say thank you both to both of you for uh, coming on the podcast and 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 talking about tar spot and and all that it involves for farmers across Ontario as well as farmers in the states too. Um, if you're looking for more information on tar spot, you can always go to fieldcropnews.com or gfo.ca slash agronomy, and you can find our alert there as well. So thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, Paige. Thanks, Paige. Joining us for an update this week on the Grain Talk podcast, we have Crosby Devitt, the CEO of Grain Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for joining us, Crosby. Hi, Rachel. It's great to be with you again. The first thing that we want to talk about today, it's now October. Obviously, harvest is getting underway in some parts of the province. What have you been hearing from our farmer members and, and the board in terms of what it's like out there uh, across the province and, you know, even on your own farm? Yeah, so we're getting into harvest, certainly right now, uh, just in the last few days, soybean harvest is starting to ramp up again. We uh, Some areas of the province got some soybeans off earlier in September, um, and then we had a really widespread uh, rain system that dropped, you know, three to six inches of rain in a lot of parts of Ontario. So that slowed things down for a good week. But um, farmers getting back out, getting some soybeans off, uh, and trying to get winter wheat in the ground right after, uh, right after soybean harvest in those fields to try to get it off to a good start. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed that we have sunshine and uh, nice weather here for a couple weeks <laughs> and uh, I think there'll be a lot of soybeans coming off if uh, if that happens. Yes I, I was just out for a walk this morning and I noticed that the soybean fields around my house they're looking like they're just about ready to come off so I expect to see some combines heading down the road anytime now. Yeah there'll be lots of uh, tractor and combine traffic on the roads and I think that's uh, you know that's something that's always something to keep in mind you know on the roads right that uh, how important it is to watch out for farm equipment they're not as nimble as uh, as cars and uh, we want to keep everybody safe and people recognize that mm-hmm. and hopefully farmers keep their patience with cars on the road that maybe aren't as patient with them right i think it's a two-way street there too <laughs> yeah i think patience on both sides is the best uh, formula for sure <laughs> and uh, but yeah there's a lot of uh, you know there's three million acres of soybeans and in, in uh, probably close to two million acres of corn that'll be harvested this fall in Ontario. So that's big acres and a lot of crop that has to move um, on our roads and, you know, to farms for storage, to elevators, but also to our, to our ports too this fall, there'll likely be some exports and, uh, and processing that happens along those areas too. So a lot of stuff moving uh, this fall here in the next couple of months. Now, um, I guess some big news that's happened since our last podcast is the federal election and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, receiving another another mandate, as it were. Um, you know, what can you tell us in terms of the um, 
federal government and how we're looking to work with this new the new makeup of the government? Yeah, so certainly the big news in the last little while, it almost seems like old news, but uh, we did have the election and uh, here we are with a uh, liberal minority, very much a similar, similar look to what we had before the election. So um, yeah, there's a number of things that I'd, I can talk about there. And, you know, I guess first and foremost, uh, the priorities that farmers have for the federal government are are clear and through the election campaign um, a number of farm organizations across Canada and Ontario uh, put forward what's needed to support farming and to ensure a vibrant farming economy including grain farmers of Ontario so um, hopefully uh, you would have seen our new website grainforgood.ca that was launched to help bring that message clearly forward and there's a couple you know three main areas that uh that we were looking for uh, the federal government to focus on for farmers and, you know, business risk management programs, a low carbon toolbox. So that's everything related to the environment and and our climate commitments, Um, but also uh, promoting trade and market access, which is critically important. So, you know, those are the key areas. And then within those, there's a number of priorities, but uh, underlying all of that or overriding all of that is the fact that you know now is probably the most important time for government farmers the general public to look at our food production system and say you know we need to ensure a local food supply and our supply chains our food processing is strong and supported Um, you know we're seeing global supply and demand kind of shift we're seeing disruption and trade and all those types of things and um, you know what is more important than having a strong local food supply uh, that we can feed ourselves but also feed others outside of Canada so uh, that's that's the overriding opportunity Um, and when we do that right it'll drive our economy forward so there's a lot of wins for everybody not just farmers in uh, in paying attention to agriculture and its importance to Canada. Now, another thing of importance to Canada, September 30th was the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Um, Grain Farmers of Ontario participated with several other um, commodity organizations within the province to issue a joint statement recognizing that day. Can you tell us about that and why it was important for Grain Farmers of Ontario to be a signature on that statement? Certainly, yeah. So September 30th, the first first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation um, you know, a few weeks ago, we were having some conversations with some of our other, you know, organizations like the Ontario Federation of Agriculture and Beef Farmers of Ontario and and several others. And I uh, thought, you know, this is an opportunity for farm organizations to come together and, you know, make a statement. And, uh, you know, as the first official day of reflection, um, you know, really our statement is that it's important for all of us and farmers and farm organizations to to listen, understand how we can better appreciate, respect all aspects of our country's history and, you know, the importance of truth and reconciliation and, and really uh, to learn more and understand more and, and really be open in, in our thinking and our actions and, and pay more more attention to how we how we act and uh, and how we talk and and some of those things that we can learn about. So, it, it's challenging, you know. The more you learn, the more tragic some of our history 
becomes known. Um, but I think what's really encouraging is that we're coming together as an as agriculture and as groups, and it's an open it's an open network uh, uh, with a commitment to learn. And I think that's uh, that's really really positive for everyone. And I think it's important to note that Grain Farmers of Ontario, with our new strategic plan, we have put diversity, equity and inclusion sort of at the forefront of where we want to go in, in the future. And that, you know, it's not just September 30th or any other day. There is a real commitment to learning more, as you say, and, and sort of working to how do we become a more inclusive environment and that we're working we're working on it continuously, not just on one day. Exactly. That's a really good point that it's not just one day. This is, uh, you know, this day becomes a catalyst and a and a and a time to reflect, but it's about actions and thinking and learning all the way throughout. And, and I think there'll be some very positive things um, come out of it down the road. It's uh, although challenging issues and, and difficult, there, there will be positive things down the road. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to give us an update on what's been happening with Grain Farmers of Ontario over the past couple of weeks. And um, we'll look forward to hearing another update from you next month. Thanks, Rachel. Really appreciate it. This Grain Talk podcast is brought to you by Pioneer. Season two of the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast is in full swing. Tune in as host Andrew Campbell and his trusted guests cover the latest industry news, ag innovation, tips, tricks, and more. Topics covered this year include how the agriculture industry can improve government relations, increasing SCN pressure and white mold in soybeans, the Enlist weed control system, and how Pioneer brand BMR corn silage can boost milk production in your cows. Great topics, trusted industry voices, and more expert ag advice. Find the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast with Andrew Campbell wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Season 2 is on now. Grain Farmers of Ontario's Farmer Wellness Program provides resources for farmer members to promote positive mental health. Sarah Plater-Finley, Grain Farmers of Ontario's HR Consultant, describes the tools you can access online. When we developed our farmer wellness program, we built it on three main focus areas, mental health, awareness, prevention, and support. Our purpose for the farmer wellness program is to provide resources in these three areas. And one of the ways we do that is through the GFO website. On the website, you'll find a section dedicated to farmer wellness with three sections related to each of the focus areas, awareness, prevention, and support. Each page provides related resources. For instance, the awareness page offers videos such as do more eggs, you are not alone video. Our prevention page offers stress management techniques and past webinars. And our support resources page has a list of resources if you or someone you know needs help. To add to these three areas, we also offer a page dedicated to well-being apps. So if you're looking for an app for your phone to help manage your stress or your well-being overall, you could look at that list for some examples. For these HR resources and more, go to gfo.ca and click on the Farmer Wellness tab. Stay safe and healthy this harvest season. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Marty Vermey, Albert Tenuta, Crosby Devitt, and Sarah Plater-Finley. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and Spotify. 
And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.